0: All right, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, man, I just thank you so much for today. God, you are so good. This morning as I preach this message, God, just use me as your hand and feet. God, let me speak into the hearts of these people. God, and let me show them a side of you that they may have not seen before. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So before I get into anything this morning, I want to thank you guys as a congregation for giving me the opportunity to be here. It is a privilege. And I want to thank um, Pastor Mark for giving me the opportunity to fill his pulpit as a pastor. Uh, It's hard sometimes you hear for other people to come and fill your pulpit. So I thank you if you are listening or whatever. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Um, I do want to acknowledge the worship band here. You guys are incredible. Like, thank you for putting that on. Um, It is an honor to be here this morning, and I want to share a little bit about myself before I get in too deep. Uh, my name, like he said, is Tanton Schneider. I am from Rice Lake, Wisconsin. I was born and raised in Rice Lake. Um, I played hockey my whole life growing up. I played football for the majority of my life growing up. So I might have played some of you guys as grandkids for Eau Claire Memorial, Eau North. Go Warriors! Um, <laughs> Uh, something about me, too is I love hunting, I love fishing. That is a part of who I am. So if you guys love anybody in here love, love hunting and fishing, yeah, yes, this place is a little holier now. I love it. So the little joke with some friends of mine is that I was born on the forest floor, like I, anything outdoors, I love. Um, I am also attending Kingswood University, which is way over on the east Coast, thirty hours away from here in New Brunswick, Canada. Yes, Canada. I did not want to go, but God called me there. Um, something that is crazy is a little story to help you guys understand why I chose New Brunswick. So, during the pandemic— I was still working at Red Cedar, but there was a point in time where our pastor had to let some of us go because he could not afford all of the staff that we had at Red Cedar. So I was one of the group of people that was let go. No hard feelings. No—wasn't like I was fired or anything. It was like, we we literally cannot afford you. So— I had left, and I had stepped out of ministry. Well, in that time, I was trying to find a job, and it was hard finding a job in the pandemic. And when I finally found one, I was doing roofing. And roofing in the summer—oh, we're just going to leave with that. It's hot. Um, so I did roofing all summer long, and at the end of summer— I started realizing that this job was not going to pan out through the rest of the year, so I started working in a truss factory. And I was working at ABC Truss in Shitech. I don't know if any of you guys heard it, but I was driving these massive forklifts that the tires in the front of the forklifts were as tall as me. They're huge, and my job was to go out in the lo- in the yard and pick up these giant bundles of two by fours and bring them into the factory so we could make trusses. Well, by this time, it was winter. Fast forward time, and it was cold. Man, it was miserable. in northern Wisconsin, January, February, there's times, and I was working night shift even, so I was in the middle of the night, driving a forklift, like my fingers were freezing constantly. Well, I went to go pick up this bundle of two-by-fours, and I put the forks underneath, two, underneath the two-by-fours, and I picked them up, and I was thinking the snow would fall off, like naturally it normally does. Well, it didn't. And I was in this point in time of my life where I was trying to get back in the ministry. And I was thinking, God, what do, you, what do you want me to do? And he started leaning me towards going back to school and getting my credentials to be an ordained pastor. And I was in this moment of praying between Indiana Wesleyan and Kingswood University. And I was like, God, please be Indiana. I don't want to go 30 hours away. Like, that's a long ways away. I have no—I don't know anybody. I don't— I have no idea where this place even is other than New Brunswick. And I kept praying and praying and praying. And when I went to pick up this bundle of two by fours, I noticed the snow and the ice didn't fall off the bundle. So I had to go out with my scraper and I started scraping off the ice and the snow. And little do you know, underneath all of the snow and the ice was a giant red maple leaf. (laughs) And in that moment, I knew... It was like God was whispering to me, pack your bags because you're going to Canada. Which gets into the title of my sermon today, the movement of a whisper. So today we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to be talking about Elijah. Well, before we get into reading the scripture, I want to give you a little bit of background of what's going on. So, in 1 Kings chapter 19, We find Elijah in a cave, but rewind, rewind. So Elijah was a prophet in Israel many, many years ago. And at this time, Israel was in a drought and a famine. And why they were in a drought and a famine? Because King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were rulers over Israel, and they had brought 450 prophets of Baal into Israel. And because of that, God was mad. He was angry, and he made Israel go into this drought. Well, Elijah kind of has enough of this business, and he brings all these 450 prophets of Baal up on Mount Carmel, and he's like, okay, we're going to settle this one once for all. We're going to settle this. And he's like, you guys take a bull, a cow, and put it on this altar, and pray, and whatever, if God, your God, rains fire down, and smothers this bowl, we'll say that's, that's God. But I'm going to do the same exact thing, and I'm going to pray to God, and if we're to see if fire comes down and smothers this bowl. So fast forward time a little bit. They're making their altars, and the prophets of Baal are like, they're praying and praying and praying. No fire, no fire. And Elijah's sitting back. He's kind of like his arms crossed. I, I picture this. He's like, pray a little louder. I don't think he hears you. Like, And they're like, cutting themselves, doing these crazy things, and eventually Elijah's just like, enough's enough. We're going to do it my way. So he takes this cow, and he puts it on this his bowl, puts it on the altar, and dumps water on top of it, and then dumps more water, and more, and pretty soon this thing is drenched with water, and there's like this puddle around this animal, and he starts praying, and God, he calls fire from heaven from God and consumes this animal, and at that point in time, all of the prophets of Baal, they start to realize, okay, this is the God we should be worshiping, and everybody worships God, but then Elijah says, seize all of them, take them down to the river, and we're going to kill them all. Fast forward time, all the prophets are dead, and Queen Jezebel hears about this. And she says, sends a messenger to Elijah, and it's like, if you are still around by tomorrow, you will end up just like the prophets that you had killed. Well, this is where we pick up in Scripture. Elijah's on the run. He's in a cave, and he's waiting on God to move. So 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 through 18. If you guys have your Bibles or if you want to follow along on the screen, um, we can do that. It says, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord God says, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat and Abel, Manola, to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Man, when I first read this, and I was trying to create a sermon, I was thinking, earth, wind, fire, kind of like the band, Earth, Wind, and Fire. And I was trying to connect Satan's voice when he tries to talk to us, and it's this loud, obnoxious, raising fire, and God always comes in as like a whisper. And in every area I would try to connect, it was like I was hitting this roadblock. And I couldn't think of like, man, why can I not try to, like, why can I not connect anything? So I was like, all right, enough's enough. I went to Pastor West, who's our lead pastor at Red Cedar, and I was like, all right, I need some help. I need to navigate this. I need to create this sermon. I'm preaching soon. And he's like, let's read it. So we started reading this, and he's like, C10, you're not getting the point. And he said it in a nice way, but he's like, the point of this story is not about how the enemy speaks to us. It's about how God moves. And it was, like a light bulb went off of my head. And I started thinking, I was like, how many of us are Elijah sitting in a cave right now? We we want God to, to make these like big miracles. Like we read in scripture, we see that in Exodus, the sea splits and two million people walk through the sea. We see Gideon chase out an army that was the size of like sand on the seashore with 300 men. We we see in New Testament, Jesus healing blind people, making lepers clean. We see him raising people from the dead and even himself after three days, he's raised from the dead himself. And so many of us are Elijah and we're like, God, I'm, I'm the Am I the only one that's going through my struggle? I I need you to move. I need you to open the the sea for me. I need you to open out your hand and and bless me somehow because I I have no money, I can't afford bills. And I think in Elijah's case, Elijah, he was facing death from Jezebel. He was facing the reality of hurt that Israel rejected God. And he was feeling abandoned as the only good Israelite left and he was being chased. See, just as he was facing death, we might be facing pain. The loss of a loved one, a friend, a relationship, a job, a home, maybe even physical pain as he was facing the reality of hurt that Israel rejected God, maybe we are feeling the overabundance of negative circumstances. Bills might be flooding in with no money. Plans falling through. Can't find work. Family drama. How many in this room have ever been on a phone call with a daughter or a son or a dad or a mom and you're trying to make amends and they say, screw you, I don't want anything to do with you. Mm. as he was feeling abandoned as the only good Israelite left and he was being chased we feel loneliness as I read this I know what it's like to hold the hand of a loved one in the hospital after they've died and you hold their cold hand and you're like God why? Why couldn't you do a miracle for me? Why couldn't you step in the gap for me? We read in scripture of you healing the leper and you raising Jairus' daughter and we see you freeing the Israelites from Egypt. We see all of these things, these massive monumental miracles. Why? Why? Why could you not step in the gap for me? How many of us have been Elijah in a cave? And as we look out, and we know that we just called fire down from heaven. And we've created, as Elijah's created many miracles, and he needs God to move right now, but God moves in a whisper. See, the story that I shared at the beginning with the leaf, which you don't know, is there was brokenness. Behind this story, there was pain behind this story. So, rewind time in my life when I was let go from the church, it hurt. It wasn't like a, okay, I'll just go find a new job. I've been called in the ministry, and that's all I knew. I was working in a church and I was leading a a large youth group at church and I was doing the things that God had called me and in a moment, it was gone. It changed this quick, the snap of a finger. And I was like, what am I supposed to do? Lord, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I don't know who I'm supposed to, what am I supposed to do? And I started getting a job roofing, and I was doing roofing. And as I started to realize that my roofing job was coming to an end, the woman that I loved I thought I was gonna marry, she left me for another man. Now I'm just gonna leave that there, and you guys can put the dots together. My whole world, my foundation was crumbling. Everything I knew was, was leaving. I started getting angry at God. I started getting angry at Red Cedar. I started getting angry at family members. I started internally feeling angry. And not to mention, since I didn't have a job, and it was the middle of COVID, and roofing ended, I didn't have any money. And I had the bank calling me, saying they were going to repossess my pickup. How am I supposed to go to work with no vehicle? My landlord of the apartment that I was living called me within the same week and says, "Tant, we're going to repossess your apartment. You're being evicted. And I remember sitting down on my bed, looking at the boxes on the floor, and I remember saying, God, I need you right now. For so long, I've been trying to follow you and obey you, and I need you right now. Did he show up right then? not in the way I wanted. See, when we get in these moments, it's not a bad thing to believe that because we hear all the time, if you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you should move mountains, right? That's what God wants. He wants our faith. But I didn't know that a couple months later, I was gonna be going to school and ministry again he started at that moment, instead of making an instantaneous miracle, where like money was full, he didn't do all that, he started changing my heart. I started going back into ch- church, I started serving, just serving. I wasn 't even on staff. And I was cleaning a toilet, like doing something simple. And as I was cleaning a toilet. I remember Jack Lynn, he's part of the the Great Lakes region. He comes up to me because he was filling in as a pastor at the time. He's like, Tanton, would you like another temporary job before you go to school? And I was like, well, I haven't made the decision about school yet, but I might. And my friend Timothy Andrews, who was walking me through all this hurt, he invited me in. He's like, I want you to be here this summer. And as I was making decisions and that whole thing happened, as months later, the decision of going to Kingswood, I started to realize that the whole time, just as Elijah was talking to God, all of these people behind me were supporting. There were 7,000 in Israel that still believed in Christ, that still believed in God. Elijah couldn't see them. I couldn't see all the people that were supporting me. I couldn't see the movement of God underneath all the layers. And then I started to read the scripture and I was like, man, this is so close to the coming of Jesus. For hundreds, thousands of years, the Hebrew people believed that Jesus was gonna be a military leader. That he was gonna be this king that brought mass chaos and death to the land that wiped out anybody that opposed Israel. Israel. But instead 2000 years ago guys in a manger in Bethlehem there were the small innocent cries of freedom for everybody and we're here today because of that baby that was born in Bethlehem and guys said next time he comes back he's coming back for us how good does that feel no more pain no more hurt, no more shame, no more on the foot of my bed praying for a miracle. He's going to be with us. So as I think of this week, as we go forward this week, is how how can we understand that God moves in the whisper, that God still moves in the quiet, that he is moving even when we can't see it, there's times in our life where we, we see God moving and we're like, man, why couldn't he do that for me? But he is, we just can't see it yet. There's times in our life where we're at work and we're, we're praying for people. We're praying for that person that does not know Christ yet, but what you don't know, you're not the only one praying. His mother or her mother has been praying for 13, 14 years, and you are the person that's supposed to witness. You are the move of God that's coming in this person's life. It's these times is we like to take God and put him in these massive, highlight real moments. But God is everywhere, moving, all around us, when we don't see it. So this week, as we go through this week, and we start to think, where in my life is God moving? What do we think is small, insufficient, insignificant, that we have been putting off, that God may use you to change someone's world, change someone's life. Maybe there's some place in this church, maybe it's a child in children's ministry right now that we are n- neglecting or we're looking over, and they are speaking to the kids in their school. How can we help them advance the gospel in first grade? They are still disciples, they're just smaller. Maybe there's a a ministry in this church that is being small and insignificant, and it's just a once a week deal, but that's what God's gonna use to transform this church, to transform this community, to bring people to know Him. As I've grown up in the Northwoods, I've realized that we have a problem with drunkenness in Wisconsin. I heard a video the other day of the top five cities in the nation, not just Wisconsin, in the nation, Eau Claire was number two. And I know there's a lot of stuff that goes on in Water Street. And I think of Water Street and I think of Main Street of Rice Lake because it looks no different. And I think, wow, what could I do Something that's even small to bring light to that community. And so this week, step back. Maybe it's take some quiet time to hear God's voice. It's 10 extra minutes in your vehicle in the driveway before you walk in. Say, silent in your mind, quiet down your heart, and thank God your servant is listening. It's that small time where Elijah was stepping out of the cave, maybe it's you stepping out to the mouth of the cave and letting all of the chaos go by just to see God move, however that looks. Whether that's at work, whether that's at home, how can you step out from the cave to see God's movement and not the enemy, not the world? Not, try not to see the big thing happen. What is the small Last but not least, what is something in your family as a husband or a wife that you guys can do together that's small to transform your family? I heard something this last week. I was listening to a podcast, and it was something so small of a wife just greeting her husband at the door. And in the morning, it was the husband just making coffee for wife, and that changed their whole marriage. They were in a trajectory of divorce in that one simple thing. God moved in that one thing to change their lives. So, what is something small that you can do? I'm going to pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for all the things that are unseen. As this message is shorter, God, I feel it speaks the truth of who you are and where your heart is with people. God, you love us so much that you're in with us every step of the way, every step of the day. In the quiet, in the mundane, in the things we cannot see, you are still there. God, as I think of the Christ of you in Bethlehem, I think of the freedom that you have given me and the grace that you have given me and everybody in this room. We don't deserve the grace that you give, but God, you lovingly reach out your hand. Thank you. God, I just pray for the congregations here today at Eau Claire Wesleyan that you will just be with them this week that you will watch over every one of them, put a hedge of protection over their families, over the individual lives in this room, Lord. And I thank you so much now for what you're going to be doing in the lives of their homes, in the the life of this church, God. And I just pray blessings over them and this church. In your name we pray, amen.